Welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter, where my handle is at turkeyhitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to part two of episode 21, Hunting Field Turkeys with Jay Scott of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Jay is also an avid turkey hunter, and Jay's going to share with us in this part of the episode when to know to move on a turkey. In part one of this episode, we talked about how being patient is a key to being successful when you're turkey hunting. And this time he's going to talk about knowing when to move. He's going to tell us a story of him calling a turkey across a creek, and I think there's some great information to be learned there. He's also going to tell us the advantages of hunting on Wednesdays. He lets us know his thoughts about using decoys while he's hunting, especially in fields, and he's going to tell us the story of his most recent kill. Now, before we get into this part of the episode, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping, and I'd like to thank two people who've left reviews this past week on iTunes. Larv1, L-A-R-V-O-N-E, Larv1, says, Great info. I'm planning my first turkey hunt for this upcoming spring. This podcast has been a wealth of information and an invaluable resource for a beginner like myself. Thanks. Larv, you are welcome. I am happy to help, and I am tickled that you are enjoying the show. Wild Game Hunter says, Turkey Hunter's Dream Show. As a fellow turkey hunter and hunting podcaster, I love this show. Very informative and full of great tips to help you become a better turkey hunter. Give it a listen. You won't be disappointed. Corby Taylor, host of the Wild Game Hunting Podcast. Corby, thank you very much for your review. I appreciate that. I appreciate the kind words. It's always nice to get feedback from another podcaster, as well as all of you listeners who are enjoying the show. And I'm going to work on getting him on the show he is a big time turkey hunter as well so i think that we can all learn a little bit from corby so thank you guys for leaving reviews if you haven't left a review for the show and you'd like to please take 60 seconds to do that here on itunes you can do the same on stitcher and in addition to leaving a five star rating don't forget to actually leave your feedback about the show tell me all the things that you enjoy about it Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show. It does not cost a penny. You'll get notification of the new episodes on your phone in your podcast app, and you can download those episodes from there, and you'll be ready to go. And speaking of ready to go, let's get into part two of episode 21 with Jay Scott, and I will see you on the other side. I get the question. I'm sure you get it all the time as well. What's key to being successful most of the time when you turkey hunt? And so aside from the obvious, you have to know the woods that you're hunting, I tell people that 
to be very good at turkey hunting, you have to be patiently aggressive. Yes. And for people who don't turkey hunt, they don't get it. They can't grasp what patiently aggressive is. And that is, to quote old Kenny Rogers, you have to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> That's a very good analogy. You have to know when to be patient and sit still, and you have to know when to move. And that is a very important key in turkey hunting. Not just turkey hunting the woods, but also turkey hunting fields. Yes. And you talked about the virtue of patience when you're hunting fields. Tell me about how knowing when to move on a turkey can pay off in a field tag or tag suit. Definitely. I'm actually looking at the turkey right now as we're recording this. It's hanging in my podcast studio, and it's the largest eastern turkey I've ever shot. And it's a... And I think it checked out at 22 and a half pounds, inch and a quarter spurs, and an 11 inch beard, big, thick, burly beard. So, this particular bird was hanging out in a spot where, as you over the years, you tend to learn where these, the, the tom turkeys will hang out early season. They get in those bachelor groups that we talked about. Year over year, they tend to return to the same spots, they're not the same birds. It's almost like they have their own breeding ground. And if you can identify where that is, the chances of you getting on top of a bird especially on Wednesdays, the better off you're going to be. And we'll get to the Wednesday thing in a sec. Okay. This bird was hanging out in a field on the other side of the river. And when I say river, it's a river. It's 20, 30 yards wide at some spots and wider at the next and deep. And mm -hmm. on the other side of this river is a, a giant field used for haying and corn. And behind that is some giant bull pines where they like to, to roost a lot of times in the spring. It gets hunted fairly hard from the other side as you come in. So I like to come in from this other side of the river. Granted, it's harder to get them to come across. And it's almost impossible, but it's, it's almost better than going to the other side where the hunters are because right. they'll have no shot. Well, this one morning I had gone down to this one spot in the woods that I'm familiar with. And it's a spot where one cornfield meets a wood line. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of the river is this other giant field. I had called to this turkey, and then I was able to glass it. It called back, and I was able to see it on the other side. And I was calling and calling. It would literally come up to the edge of the river and then go back into the pines and then come back to the river and go back into the pines. It did this probably 10 times. Like, I got to do something different. I need to have it fly across the river. And that's why all the textbooks I've ever read, not going to happen. Right. So... How am I going to get this bird that is clearly in a pattern, very comfortable on the other side in this giant field when nobody's bothering them? There's, there are no other hunters. I have two choices. I can either pack up my gear, go back to my truck, drive around another two miles and get go to another spot to access that point, get in a canoe and go downriver and if I can get to the access point, or I have to act differently. Mm -hmm. So I ended up just following the wood line along the river down through. But I didn't make any calls as I was walking. I was just trying to see if I could still see them. I wasn't hearing any hens, so I figured I'd obviously if there are hens around, there's another obstacle you have to overcome. Right. So I just ended up moving down the river. And then I called one more time. I'd moved down river a good four or 500 yards. And to that bird, it was a different spot. It was a different part uh, from where I was. Mm -hmm. But it was still hot. It was still calling back. And there had been times during the, the three, four hours that this bird, that I'd interacted with this bird, that it had shut up and it would go completely silent, but then it'd pop up again. So I don't know if it was playing with hens on the other side and then they were kind of ignoring him or what. But after moving down 500 yards and I called, uh, not aggressively, but just another call, this bird responded back and it came up to the edge and it got close again, 
but this time I was in a different spot to that bird. I was a different bird, perhaps, but certainly in a different area. Mm-hmm. It flew out of that field and not into the field I was in, but directly across the river over my head. I could see it, and it landed in the woods behind me on the top of a hill, and then it came back up a hill, and as it, I can hear it start to come back up the hill, I literally belly crawl up this little ridge and onto a flat, and I set up just over the flat, and I watched this bird come down probably a probably a 20-foot hill mm-hmm. and into my zone of fire, and, uh, and I, I let it go, and bird flopped over. So I had to take this bird out of a giant field it's comfortable in, have it fly across the river, and come back up a hill and back down to me. It was against every textbook thing you've ever heard. Exactly. But it was, it's the biggest bird I've ever shot. And had I not moved, that bird was never coming through. Yeah. In a sense, it's not moving to a new spot in the field necessarily. It might be just moving into the woods to get them to come to you or just changing your the spot from which you were calling initially and where you're getting no action or the desired results that you wanted. I needed that bird to come across. It wasn't. It made it pretty clear that it wasn't. I had to change the dynamics of the hunt. And that one just happened to work out. That wouldn't happen every time because I've been in that same scenario and they won't fly. But this particular bird that was clearly the dominant bird in the area, the biggest bird in the flock, d- mm-hmm. did exactly that. Yeah, that brings up something very interesting. And I've got nothing to substantiate this statement with other than just my experience. And that is that I'm convinced that gobblers know from where you're calling from, they know if they've heard a hen call from there before. And I firmly believe that there are locations and areas where gobblers are more convinced that you're a hen if you call from that area than from a different area. Yes. Could be that flocks tend to hang out there, it's an area where they've seen hens there or met up with hens there before. Whatever the reason happens to be, I'm just firmly convinced that that's something that the gobblers do yep. and that they will answer I mean, you can use the exact same call, make the same number of yelps at the same cadence and at the same volume from location A, and they don't answer. You move to location B. It's an area where there are hens there. Make that same call, and a turkey responds. Yep, yep. And could be a million reasons. Could be that that gobbler had hens with him before, and he doesn't now. Maybe he wasn't in the mood to gobble, and he is now. But in my mind, I know that there are areas on the land that I hunt that I get more responses to my calling than there are in other areas. Absolutely. That's very true. And you don't know why exactly, but it's got to be something to do with they've seen hens there before, they've met up with hens there before. But there's definitely zones or spots where they are more prone to go to or call to if you're calling from a particular area. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. So a couple of other questions for you about this turkey. When you relocated... Did you use decoys at that point? I did not. I simply worked from the ground. Decoys were in my pack. I'm not even sure I took my decoys with me that day. I knew where I was going that morning, and I was going to try to, if it was hand up, and this is a great tactic, is that, and it's kind of like deer hunting, where you you hunt the does, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You don't shoot the does, you hunt the does, because that's where the bucks are. You, yeah. you can get the, the hens to come in close enough and drag the toms behind them yeah. for a shot. You don't have to necessarily hunt the tom in a sense. You just need to get that hen to come to your call. It's almost like they get that boss hen aspect going where 
there's a hen over there. This is my Tom and she's not having it. So I got to go over there and, and, and take care of business. And that Tom will usually come within 30 or 40 yards, which is plenty for a shot. Yeah. Yep. My second question to you then about that hunt is, did you change your calling when you moved from location A to location B? So in other words, did you get more aggressive to try to call that turkey across the river, or did he just decide that, well, this is a hen over here in this spot, and it's time for me to go? I tried to change it up, and I kept the same call this time, unlike the first turkey I shot there. But I ended up keeping the same call. I just changed the cadence and the and the pitch and the loudness. I didn't amplify it. I didn't, I didn't scream as much. I When I started out, I was pretty loud. And... That's what he responded to initially, but then I quieted down. I didn't call as much and tried to make it so that they were, it was more, it wasn't as aggressive, much less aggressive. And I think that was probably the, the deciding factor in that it just sounded completely different to that Tom that day. Yeah. I've had success one time calling a turkey across a creek and it's simply in my mind related to nothing more than what you were just talking about and that was calling to the hens yeah and and i was on the edge of a cow pasture when i was calling and the cow pasture was on the edge of a river and the turkeys roosted across the river from the cow pasture they were going to come in there at some point in time during the day they have been doing it every day since probably the beginning of time so i knew they were going to come in there but yet i knew the hens were across the river and i knew that if i called to those hens and i could get the hens to come the gobbler was going to be right behind them and sure enough called and the first hen flew across the river to me and then here come the rest of the hens and i can't remember exactly there were probably eight to ten hens and the gobbler flew across the river behind them probably five minutes after they did and he i'm sure he's standing there on the side of the river by himself lonely as can be yep. knew where his girlfriends went and figured he better go and follow them so he did and actually you know i called that bird in but a friend of mine shot that bird and that was his very first turkey that he ever killed so that was a heck of a day he was nice. terribly excited about that awesome. yeah, yeah so. it is funny how they follow the hens and it's just it's not always the case sometimes they're alone or sometimes there's a hen somewhere else, or maybe there's just one hen. But when those hens are done with a him, they have this way of letting the tom know, and then it's it's game yeah. on for you. You're in. Yeah. You, you don't have to be number one. You just have to wait until number one goes away. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, you mentioned something just a few minutes ago that has piqued my interest, and that is Wednesday hunting. Yes, Tell me about Wednesday hunting and why that's part of your secret sauce. The Wednesday hunting is really just a formula that is more about the other hunters in the woods. And the weekends obviously tend to bring out more hunters than others. And mm -hmm. I have yet in 17, 18 years of turkey hunting been able to take a bird when there is another hunter involved on the other side fighting for that same bird. Yeah. So... It's like they get confused. They get two hens calling aggressively, and they just split the both of you and head out long-term. They didn't even see you. didn't see the other hunter either. They just couldn't make a decision. It's like their brains aren't programmed enough to decide which side they can go to unless they get a visual. Yeah. So I I started hunting more on Wednesdays, often before work, and that seems to have fixed some of that competition with other hunters. It gives them, let's say... Saturday and Sunday, especially if it's opening weekend, there'll be a tremendous amount of hunters in the woods and the chances of you bumping into another hunter and competing for the same bird are pretty high. Yeah. 
likewise, on Monday or Tuesday, those turkeys still remember that. And by Wednesday, things have calmed down. There are less hunters in the woods. The turkeys have forgotten the weekend. And they seem to be more vulnerable on Wednesday, and you don't have any competition. Nobody hunts Wednesday mornings, generally speaking. There's some diehards, there's some retirees, whatever. But generally speaking, if I'm heading out in the woods on a Wednesday morning and I can locate a turkey that morning, or if I had roosted one the night before, I have a much, much higher success rate getting on top of that bird and getting them to come in within range on Wednesdays yeah. or Thursdays than they do on Saturdays or Sundays. Yeah, yeah, so very just true. Just playing the odds. Yeah. Are you primarily hunting public land where you hunt? Yes. Yep. Yep. 100% public land. The nature of hunting land in New Hampshire is a little different than other places. If it's not posted, it's huntable. It's not, you still want to try to get to know the landowner if there's a way to identify the landowner, but they're not always like locked into that piece of land. They might be out of state or nowhere near where this piece of land is, but it might be a huge piece of land, but they don't post it. They're hunter friendly, so to speak. Yeah. So there's a lot of that in New Hampshire. It's one of the best things about hunting New Hampshire is that unless it's posted, it's open land. And yeah. obviously if there are, you know, there are houses nearby or whatever, you want to ask permission before you go into a large piece of land. If it's obvious that that's landowner, sometimes you can't identify them. It's part of a, a land trust or a conservation easement, but it's all, generally speaking, all places that others have access to. Now, I've hunted private land, posted land, and mm-hmm. just a few hunters have access to it. And that's worked out well too but not any more better or worse than hunting the public spots too. Right. There's some strategies to try on public land for sure. And you got to know how to hunt it to have a, a great deal of success with it. And using that Wednesday morning and Thursday morning tip, that will definitely pay off. Yes. And I have experienced the same thing. And I've had several experienced hunters tell me the, the same exact thing as well, yep. that that midweek hunt, sometimes a Tuesday, but definitely a Wednesday and a Thursday are getting out in the woods on those days on public land and even on your your hunting club if you've got a lot of other turkey hunters out there giving those turkeys a couple of days to let the pressure let them relax a little bit and let them forget about being chased all over the place for saturday and sunday yeah you know that that really helps and really makes a difference so yeah and that's good that you shared that you can recreate that wednesday hunt on public land if you can get to posted private land because there are no other hunters. There's no other competition. So that's basically that piece of your hunt you're trying to eliminate is the other hunters. And yeah. Wednesday and Thursday are just ideal for that. Yeah. Now, when you're hunting field turkeys, do you typically try to use decoys when you hunt them? Or are you kind of letting the time of the season dictate whether you use decoys or not? Are you using, you know, letting the bird dictate whether you use decoys or not? What drives that for you? More often than not, early on, in my hunting, my turkey hunting career, I was using more decoys than not. But then I realized that my best decoy is the live bird or the hen. Mm-hmm. So I kind of stopped using decoys in a lot of scenarios, unless I know for sure that there's a bird in the area from the day before, the evening before, the night before, if I was able to roost one, and that I was I had located it in a field. And that if I can get down to a spot where that bird is likely to show up again because it was comfortable in that area without being detected, then I will use a decoy in the morning. It's always the morning, but early morning, like at sunrise. After that, it's basically a hoof game. I'm moving up and down rivers. I'm moving. I might be driving to a new spot. If I'm not hearing a gobble, then I'm typically, and it's after 10 o'clock, I'm usually keeping the decoys in the bag. 
But de- mm-hmm. definitely a sunrise off the roost. If I know there's a bird in the area from the day before, then I'll set up with that. And that's work. That's work fine. And I can't say that they'd always make a beeline for it. But in some yeah. cases, especially late season, like that first one when I told the Memorial Day hunt story, that made a difference. That brought that bird in to exactly the spot where I wanted it to be for exactly the shot. Yeah. But I've had other scenarios where I didn't have time to set up. I was I had to get in to the field. There was no there was the bird was already in the field. There's no way for me to set up a decoy without being detected. So I basically had to use my my mouth call. I had to get stealthily close enough to the edge of the field and set up slowly, deliberately and methodically without that bird noticing there's a ruffling in the leaves on the edge. Right. And there's just no way to place decoys out in the field. Because in this one scenario, I had identified a bird in the field strutting around with a hen, one hen, not a bunch, just one. Mm-hmm. So I knew if I could get down to the edge, the decoys were useless at that point. There was no way to get into the field, set up a decoy. So I ended up just leaving it in, in the truck. But made my way through the woods to the back edge of this field and then waited for that hen to be done. And I was either working the hen to try to get the hen to come to me or if the hen was going to leave, eventually that it would and I would be the only game in town for that bird and the most available option when it was time. And an hour and a half later, the hen headed down the thousand-yard field to the other side with no real alarm or announcement. It just wandered off. But that that tom stayed in its zone. It's like they get in this circle where they don't want to break it, even if the hen's not there. And after a while, after they're done turning around and strutting around and there's nobody else coming to play and that hen's not coming out, they will eventually break that circle and come to you. But mm-hmm. you have to be close enough and you have to be there at exactly the right time that that other hen is either coming towards you and walks over you or breaks away and goes the other way without being alarmed. Yeah, that's something that I don't do a lot of here, and that's using decoys. And it's it's primarily because I want to stay more mobile. I don't use yeah. decoys a lot. And, you know, when you're in the woods and you're hunting in a good bit of the time, we're hunting in thicker woods in Alabama. You know, it's the decoys are not very visible, so I don't use them a whole lot. And so, you know, using decoys in fields when I do field hunt is something that I always am trying to figure out. Should I use a decoy or not use a decoy? And typically I opt not to use it right. because I'm more comfortable not using them. And so I know how to hunt. But, I, you know, there's several times when I really feel like I could have had success when I'd, if I'd had a decoy out. But I also know that there are times when I've used decoys and they've actually kept me from being able to kill a turkey. Yep. So there are enough factors out there for me to keep me from being successful in killing a turkey when I am hunting that I don't want to add to it right. by putting a decoy out or having the wrong type of setup. Right. I would say I use decoys 5% of the time. Okay. And I think I've shot birds over the years probably. I think I've shot three or four birds over decoys. And keep in mind, we get one turkey during the shotgun season per year. And I haven't not tagged out in 20 years. Yeah. So yeah. over over decoys, the, the longer I do it, the less I use them. Basically, is what it's come down to. Right. Well, tell me about your most recent successful turkey hunt and the one or two things that you did during that hunt to make it a success. Sure. The most recent one was I had hunted this spot called Grassy Pond, and I had been, in my scouting efforts, had continually identified a turkey gobbling off the roost in this valley near this grassy pond, but I, I didn't hunt it, and I was kind of saving it for later because mm-hmm. they tend to hang out in the same spots. And 
it wasn't it was one of those spots where another hunter is unlikely to go to because it's not an obvious easy access point but i i knew that i knew the axe how to get there but most other hunters wouldn't put in the efforts so it ended up being a, a woods bird when it was all said and done but basically i had to work my way through some old logging roads old ATV trails, newer ATV trails, cross some brooks, cross a, a creek around the edge of a swamp, and then get to the spot. And I had two birds gobbling at the same time to my call. I was right in the middle of each of them, and they were clearly competing with each other. One was on one ridge, the other one was on another ridge. Nice position to be in. I like my odds. And I knew that if I screwed up on one, that I still had another one to go after. And they were, mm-hmm. they were both being fairly aggressive, and I wasn't hearing much clucking or hand calls or yelps or anything. And I was playing with both of them. This is kind of going back to like a Herald Knight saying that, you know, you can talk to a turkey for two hours on the on the ridge, and you're not playing them, they're playing you. They just, oh, they yeah. just talk and talk and talk and do nothing until they see some movement. So I eventually said, all right, I have to make a move. It's time to move. You get that instinct. All right, I've worked this bird enough. I have to do something or it's just they're not going to come in. It's clear that they're not interested in coming in from the distance at which they are. And they were both about 100 yards out. So I I made my move on the first bird. And I'm coming up a little ridge, and there is the bird, not where I thought it was. As I'm moving through, I thought I was going to make a play up the ridge, cross the flat, through some tall pine brush and I thought he was on the other side of that well it turns out he was on my side of the pines and standing right there all flocked out he sees me and flies away uh. <sighs> okay so after that had occurred I had called again and that other bird was still active but much further out we're talking probably another 500 600 700 yards from where I had started mm-hmm. like okay this is gonna be a this is gonna be a, a hoof so started walking start and kept going and clearly they had made its way up onto a flat on a ridge, but has now started coming back to me, but seemed to still be interested. So I, I made my way up the ridge, trying to stay somewhat hidden. But fortunately, the topography of the land was up and down, up and down. So once I got up to a flat, there was a ridge, and then you know, it was a, a little hill, and then it goes down a hill and goes up a hill. So I was able to play the topography fairly well. Yeah, and I call, and I, I mean, the bugs are starting to come out. I'm sweating. I can, my glasses are fogging up. I'm still calling. He's still interested, and he's coming down the hill, but not right in. And it would get just out of sight. I could hear it. It was as loud as an auditorium. But the tom was on the other side of this, basically just down the hill, just over the hill, just over the knoll. I couldn't see it. I could hear it. Still wasn't coming in. I'm, I'm just mobile at this point, and I'm waiting. And there's no callback. It stops calling altogether. Now it's time to make another move. So I get up and I move, and there's this fallen tree about six inches long, and it is fallen across basically a rock on one side, and it's like this little crevasse in, in the between. I just sit down in the little crevasse, and I'm, I'm sitting there. There's no tree behind me at this point. I just have this fallen tree, and it's just kind of in front of me. I hear the turkey one more time to my left, and again, because of the topography, it's just now I'm going, there's a little, just a little knoll to my left, but uphill. And it's like, it's as if you turned the volume up so loud on your headset and pushed play as loud of a gobble as you can get. Uh, it was right there. I'm like, when I say right there, I'm talking five <laughs> feet away, but I can't see the bird. He can't see me. It's the way this whole game has been played out the whole day. Mm-hmm. So like, I got to make a move. So 
I'm able to kind of move over and all I do is I stand up, I look and literally my eyes get over the top of the little knoll and there's the the big white, red, blue head Mm -hmm. right there. I stand up a little bit more. He sees me, I see him and I pull the trigger and drop what turned out to be one of the the weight was not big because it was it been hanging out in the deep woods it's yeah. all season, all winter long. So the weights on these birds in the woods was not nearly as good as the ones that were li- living under the bird feeder. But if you, yeah. if you looked at the beard and the, the size of the bird uh, and the, the spurs, it was as big as any bird I'd ever shot. Big, big, bushy, long, 10.5-inch beard. Mm. It was amazing. It was one of those, yeah. you worked the birds the way you wanted it. It played out right. And to have a bird that close and still not be able to see it, it's just just tremendous. Yeah. So you think of all the birds you get to see coming across the fields for the and just watch them kind of meander or come as a beeline into your decoys or whatever. You get yeah. to see them for a long time. Here's this bird that you don't see until the very last second and you pull the trigger. Yeah. And it's as good as any of the birds you've killed where you've watched them the whole time. That's a good story. I had a situation come up on a hunt in Texas. It was my first time to hunt Texas and it was an afternoon hunt and I was sitting in up against a tree in a roost area and obviously I was doing a fantastic job being very still while I was sitting there because every 20-30 minutes I'd call very softly. Well, I called and a turkey gobbled behind me. Yep, they do that. <laughs> and he he could not have been more than 10 feet away from me. And of course, he startled me because I had no earthly idea that the turkey was there. And so I jumped. He scared yep. me to death. Mm-hmm. And when I jumped, of course, he putted twice and was gone. And by the time I got turned around, I never even saw that turkey. Yep. You know, this is flat land in Texas, so it was not the terrain that kept me from seeing it. But it, golly, when they're close like that, and you knew the turkey was close. I had no idea this turkey was close. Yep. But knowing that they're close is, oh, I mean, you can you can hear your own heart beating it's like it's beating outside of your chest, and you know that that turkey can hear it. Yep. And so you're thinking, he hears my heart. He's not going to come in. I'm not going to get to see him. Yeah. But that's that's cool. I love those close encounter stories. Yep. Hey, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for part three of episode 21, where Jay's going to tell us about his experiment this past season of observing turkeys in the woods rather than focusing only on squeezing the trigger. He's going to let us know a few of the things that he learned by doing that, and he's also going to share with us a really cool story of a bobcat that's hunting the same turkeys that he was hunting, and he's going to tell us how that all shook down. So that's pretty interesting stuff that he was able to observe there. Also in that part of the episode, Jay's going to let us know how his Big Buck Registry's Big Buck podcast can help you become a better deer hunter. So be sure to tune in for that. The new episode will be out Thursday of next week, so be sure to catch it. Thank you guys again for tuning in. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I will see you soon. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, 
as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.